Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to our Cracked Rackets match of the day, a Patreon-only segment where I talk about the match I am watching most closely on any given day in the tennis world. It is crazy to say this out loud, but folks, we've reached week number two of the year's first Grand Slam event, the fourth round of the 2022 Australian Open already upon us and set to begin later tonight. As such, we've got eight outstanding singles matches to choose from for today's segment, top half of the men's and women's singles draw in play. I want to get right into breaking down the action, of course, before I can, as always. I have to thank all of you listeners for your continued support of our efforts here at Cracked Rackets. It means the world to us, excuse me, to have a group of people that we know will have our backs through everything we try. It allows us to do things like go daily throughout these Grand Slams, provide the sort of coverage we know tennis fans everywhere deserve, expand upon our coverage of college tennis and try and amplify that level of the game, which means so much to us. And we know if more fans started watching, they would certainly be gravitated towards as well. All of that possible because of the support we've gotten from all of you on day one. So again, on behalf of all of us, sincerely from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much. With that said, let's talk about the tennis we've got here on day seven. Four men's matches, four women's matches. Let's start on the women's side. I'm going to be honest, I wanted to pick Ashley Barty versus Amanda Nisimova for the match of the day. Why? Because, of course, it's a rematch of the 2019 French Open semifinal, the one semifinal. Amanda Nisimova has made it a Grand Slam in her young career. Of course, it was the site of Ashley Barty's first Grand Slam title, the 2019 French Open. And let's be clear, Amanda Nisimova just knocked out the defending champ. She knocks out Naomi Osaka, 7-6 in the third, has played just an elite brand of power tennis. I like to brand it Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club sort of tennis that simply put, regardless of the opponent, can win her a match, that she can play on her terms, that she can get out of situations by hitting the big first server. If you hang a second serve, as every player on tour, male or female, is prone to doing, she's going to go after that ball and has such condensed backswing, such easy power. And, you know, she's still not the most fluid mover, but she is, what, 5'10", something like that. And so she uses that length to, you know, get to the ball early. She anticipates extraordinarily well as such. I think it makes up for that elite, a uh, lack of elite elite fluidity. But again, all of the credit in the world to Amanda Nisimova for her victory. She outplayed Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka didn't play poorly. Nisimova outplayed her. And now she's got at the number one, a shot at the number one seed, hometown favorite, uh, Ashley Barty. And I mean, Barty has cruised, cruised, even in a two and three or three and two, whatever it was, victory over Camilla Georgie. She was never seriously tested. That match was never in doubt. And just she moves better and better with every passing match. Of course, she won a warm-up event on her way uh, in the first two weeks of the season, earned fantastic wins along the way as well. You know, great win for her over Sviantec, but straight set win that featured some outstanding tennis. Great win for her in the final over Rabakina as well. Barty's playing her best. Anisimova's playing her best. 
Anisimova has unique weapons to expose the weakness of Ashley Barty, which is still that backhand slice return, which is good, by the way. That weakness has been minimized. It's not a glaring weakness. It would just be on the scale of Ashley Barty weaknesses. That and a hanging second serve would be the two most attackable things. And Anisimova has the weapons needed to do just that. Now, she's going to have to swing even more freely than she did against uh, against Osaka, and she had 40-plus winners against Osaka, and, you know, an over plus 10 winner to unforced error ratio, but Barty's even quicker, and Osaka moved great in round three. Barty's that much more fluid in and out of the corner. She's going to do that much more damage if you hang something short, and then, of course, she's going to make you pay turn defense to offense if you're not precise with your attacking ground strokes, so that match is fascinating. And I gave you a little two-minute spiel there on that. The reason I'm not doing it, I anticipate I'm going to be talking about Ashley Barty on this segment at some point during week number two. That's indicative, I suppose, of where I'm picking in that match. But that's going to be fascinating. I mean, Vika has looked like a contender, just demolished Svitolina, who didn't have any weapons to hurt her with. And look, Krejcikov has played a lot of tennis over the last two weeks, making the final the week before the Australian Open and three sets in her third round match against Jelena Ostapenko. Vika made a semifinal in week one, or maybe it was a quarterfinal in week one. I think it was a quarterfinal where she beat Bedosa, who wins a title the next week and, you know, gets knocked out in three sets. Fantastic match, I believe, against Iga Sviantek. Vika's cruised on her way to this third round, wasn't seriously tested against Svitolina, was dictating from start to finish. I mean, the difference is Barbara Krejcikova is not going to give Vika anything easy. And Barbara Krejcikova, if Vika hangs a second serve or if Vika isn't aggressive on the return of serve, Krejcikova will make her play uh, pay with her you know, counterpunching game style and her ability to turn defense into offense, how measured she is on her approach shots, how great she is at you know getting her ground strokes with depth into the outer thirds of the court. You got to keep the ball out of the center because if you don't, Svitolina is going to make you pay right now. I lean Svitolina, uh, excuse me, Svitolina, Azarenka. I lean Azarenka in that matchup. I just think she's got the bigger weapon. She's the fresher of the two players, and she's so confident right now. But never count out Barbara Krejcikova is one of the lessons we've learned over the past year as tennis fans. I lean Vika in three. That one should be fun, though. Sakari Pagula, that physical battle. Neither's played particular great tennis here in Australia, but it's a pick of three sets, you know, two players ascending, you know, two of probably the 10 best seasons by scale of where they expected at the start of the year coming out of 2021. And yeah, Pagula's got quarterfinal points to defend here. And for Sakari, you know, this is a match. You're the number five seed. Pagula doesn't have an overwhelming weapon to hurt you with. The physicality Sakari can bring match in, match out. Of course, that said, Pagula is such a proficient returner. Sakari's gotten better and better on the first serve, but is still prone to hang a second serve like anyone else. Pagula will make her pay for it. Sakari is the most uh, more well-rounded player of the two. She'll be the favorite in the match. I'd lean her as well, but I could see that match going three. And then an exceptional contrast of styles. Two players winning titles the week before the Australian Open going head-to-head. Keys versus Bedosa. They both played three-set battles in round number three. Both played, what, eight matches now over the past 14 days. Pick them. If Keyes strikes the ball well, she's got the bigger weapons. Bedosa, though, has the length, has the movement, the fluidity to take, uh, you know, your first plus one ball away. But the way Keyes is hitting, that's fine. She gets a second a plus two ball, and she'll be fine with that second forehand and move you corner to corner. How much does Bedosa have left in the tank? Because Keyes certainly can make things a bit more easy on herself. 
that's a fascinating match. And again, from our friends at Tennis Abstract, because I don't want to leave you listeners hanging, got to let you all know what the percentages are. Of course, we'll talk about all of these things again on our GSP Ace of the Day segment. Uh, but you look at it right now, and again, top half quarterfinals, the only, you know, you've got two of them in the 60-40, but just barely. Vika, 59.5% favorite over Krejcikova. Sakari, 59.2% over Jess Pagula, Barty is 74.9% favorite, Bedosa 67% favorite against Madison Keys. All the match is going to be fascinating, though, and you look via our friends at DraftKings right now uh, at the odds for the women's matches on schedule tomorrow. DraftKings, very uncertain about many of these matches. You've got Barty minus 450 against Anisimova. That's a little lower given how well Barty's played. Vika, minus 195. They're respecting Krejcikova, although that's actually higher than I expected for Vika. I thought that might be a minus 150 thing. I think that's DraftKings being wise about Victoria Azarenka's level. Bedosa's minus 175. Keys is a dangerous plus 140. And then Sakari, minus 215. I actually think that's accurate. She should be that sort of favorite against Pagula. It's going to be good tennis, folks. Buckle your chin straps. It's going to be a fun day on the women's side. Of course, again, why am I not using some of those names? Because we just talked about Vika. I've done Bedosa before I as well. I believe I did her and Tomjanovic on day one. I think I'm going to do Barty later. And then, you know, again, respectfully uh, to Pagula versus um, in her matchup. Why am I blanking out here? Just leave it all in West off. Pagula, of course, I just mentioned is playing Sakari. I just, again, we'll save those players for later on here in the week. You look on the men's side, going to be a fun day across the board. Certainly, you look at some of the highlight matchups, just a fascinating dynamic. Mumir Kasmanovic, Gael Monfils, quarterfinal slam spot on the line. Monfils a minus 500 favorite, a heavy favorite, according to Tennis Abstract as well. You look for it right now, Gael Monfils. Uh, Gael Monfils, excuse me, I believe, yeah, an 83.7% favorite over Kasmanovic. Still, Kasmanovic has made the most of the opening in his draw without uh, Novak Djokovic. Monfils has yet to drop a set in this tournament as well, wins a title lead uh, in the first week of the season, playing some really good ball. And again, this is a wide open quarter of the draw. Carreno Busta, gassed after his five and four set matches in rounds two and three. Berrettini has played a lot of tennis through his first three matches as well, pushed against Nakashima, pushed against Kozlov, pushed to the very brink against Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, so again, that match, fascinating. We'll get back to that in a second. Zverev, fascinating. Nadal, Manorino, probably the only not fascinating match at all here on day number seven. But you look at all of these matches again. Right now, Monfils, uh, comfortable favorite, minus 500 over Kasmanovic. You look for Zverev. He's also the favorite. A little less comfortable. Minus 475, though, over Denis Shapovalov. Uh, you look for, uh, excuse me, Rafa. He's minus, four, you know, 1 to 40 odds. So you got to bet $40 to win one in return. That's brutal. And then there's our match of the day. Closest odds on the men's side. One I think is fascinating for a bunch of different reasons. In number seven seeded Bar- Matteo Berrettini and number 19 seed Pablo Carinabusta, of course, as always, I want to go through the stats. I want to frame where each of these players are at in their careers as well. Talk about the keys in the head-to-head. Talk about the uh, where I think the match is going. So with that in mind, let's get to it. Crack Rackets, Patreon match of the day. Matteo Berrettini, your number seven seed, taking on number 19 seed Pablo Carreno Busta. We'll start 
with that number seven seed who played the match of day number five, arguably, with his 6-2-7-6-4-6-2-6-7-6 victory over number 32, uh, 31 seed, excuse me, Carlos Alcaraz. And you look for Matteo Berrettini, there's a lot of numbers that point in his direction. 42-13 and 13 in his last 52 weeks. That's a 76% win percentage, folks. He's held serve 89.8% of the time over that stretch. That number now good for second on the ATP Tour, trailing just John Isner, just below that 90% threshold hold percentage where the Rayniches, the Isners, the prime Andersons, prime Fetters of the world are living. But he's right on the cusp of that. And what's so amazing about Matteo Berrettini is that his serve has continued to get better. It's always been huge, right? But it's that the plus one forehand now is backing it. And his willingness to serve in volley, his willingness to play the plus one backhand down the line you know, he's flirting with, you look at the last three seasons for him, overall in the end of last year, 90% uh, hold percentage, 90.9 uh, in 2020, 88% uh, in 2019, 88.8% to the course of this season. He That's hovering around elite, if not the elite of the elite. And I, no, it is elite, but that is hovering amongst the elite of elite all time, that 90% threshold. Truly, that's where the great ones are from a hold percentage standpoint. The bigger growth has been the break percentage, though, and early in his career and still to this point against elite competition, that backhand return, you know he's going to try and slice it and block it back, and early in his career, particularly on quicker hard courts, that was a major issue for him. His lack of comfort swinging through that wing led to a 15.1% break percentage in his first full ATP season in 2018, but since then, again, break percentage for him, 15.1 in 2018, 17.6 the next season. 18.3 the following season, 20.9% break percentage last year. Now that number was 33rd amongst top 50 players. But if you're the number two server on tour and you're breaking not at the Isner rate, not at the you know uh, Milos Raonic rate, you are definitely going to be a top 10 player on tour. The math guarantees that. And the math has guaranteed that for Matteo Berrettini, who again, 2019 goes 43 and 24, qualifies for the year-end championships, 2021, 41 and 13 last year, folks, wins 76% of his matches. And you look for him, the individual results, whether it's the title run that he earned in Belgrade, the final at the Madrid Masters, the you know final and title he won at Queens Club, final of course of Wimbledon before he loses in four to Djokovic, and you know for him quarterfinals of the U.S. Open where he's knocked out by Djokovic, quarterfinals of Roland Garros where he's knocked out by Djokovic as well. Well, the big numbers for Matteo Berrettini, 22-1 against opponents ranked outside the top 50 last season. The only guy to get him on that list, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina in Monte Carlo at the start of the clay court season. But you look for him even beyond that, 20-12 against top 20 opponents. After that, though, again, against the elite of the elite is where things start to drop off. He's 6-9 against the top 20, but that's really indicative of the fact that he's 1-8 against top 10 opponents. And he's played them all close, right? Djokovic, four sets uh, at Roland Garros, four sets in Wimbledon, four sets at the U.S. Open, and he played Medvedev to three sets at ATP Cup at the start of the season, played Zverev to three sets in that Madrid final. But he again, his lack, of, because his plan A is the elite of the elite. That serve, that forehand, 90% hold percentage. That if that, literally, if that's not indicative of elite, I don't know what is The difference is, you know, again, if you can get the ball deep into his backhand corner, if you have the length and the returnability like 
oh, I don't know, Djokovic, Zverev, and Medvedev, who are the top 10 guys who have beaten him uh, six out of the eight times. Tsitsipas is the other one with two. He's lost to four guys, the top four guys in the rankings, a combined eight times. By the way, those eight losses, eight of his 13 over the last 52 weeks, unless you're one of those elite players who can either match his plan A, which is, again, that 90% hold threshold, and Tsitsipas is right up there alongside with him. Tsitsipas is fifth overall at 88.2%. Tsitsipas also a slightly higher break percentage, very similar versions, slightly different how they approach it, but very similar from a metrics perspective. Uh, you know, unless you can match his plan A, or like Zverev, Medvedev, Djokovic have the length and the return ability to neutralize his first serve to some extent, and then, of course, the elite ability on serve, as Zverev and Medvedev are also top 10 guys, uh, to somewhat match him, if not match him completely, on the plan A. Unless you're one of those elite of the elite, you're just not beating Matteo Berrettini. And that's been a fascinating development, though, because in the elite of the elite, they can beat him. Everyone else, and Carlos Alcaraz, who's sniffing on the door of eliteness, he couldn't beat Matteo Berrettini. He couldn't get over the hump. In the biggest moments when Berrettini would come up with a big first serve and a big plus one forehand, Alcaraz did not have a response for it. And that in itself is something you have to value. And you look for Matteo Berrettini. I call him, he's the gatekeeper to the top five right now. I think that's going to be my take, by the way. You definitely will expect to see that on my Twitter feed him as the gatekeeper to the top five, because if you can't beat Berrettini, you don't belong there. And I know it's like, well, gatekeeper to the top five, does the top five need a gatekeeper? I'm just saying, if you can beat Matteo Berrettini, you probably are a top five sort of player. And again, the results of late indicative of that 42 and 13 overall in his last 52, again, 22 and one against opponents ranked outside the top 20, 20 and 12 against top 50 opponents, eight of those 12 top 50 losses coming against the top four players in the world. You look for Matteo Berrettini, what's been so fascinating has been the the now growth in success for him on hard courts. You look for him overall in his career, he's 24 and 6 on grass courts at the ATP level, 80% win percentage, 41 and 18 at the on clay courts, 69% win percentage. Do you know he's only 50 and 41? on hard courts. And that's because his break percentage for his career on hard courts is 15.5%, which is lower than his number on grass courts than in dead. Indicative of the fact that early in his career, that one-handed backhand return was a massive liability. It no longer is. You look at the fact that he makes the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open last year, has you know made the semifinals at the U.S. Open in the past before as well. This is a guy who has had a ton of success. And, you know, again, the Grand Slam numbers are silly. He's 40 and 16 in his career, 19 and 3 last year at the Grand Slams with all three of those losses coming to Djokovic. Of course, why doesn't he have a fourth loss? He withdrew before playing Tsitsipas in last year's Australian Open round of 16. By the way, round of 16 in Australia, the furthest Berrettini has ever gone. But it makes sense why his game has success. Now, the question is, what can he do to take that next step to become elite? Of course, the backhand can continue to improve. Can he maximize the serve that much more? I mean, sure, if you can improve your consistency, I suppose you can always get better at your first serve until you're making 100% of them. Second serve's pretty rock solid already. He's a top five guy in terms of second serve, percentage of second serve points one. Again, becoming more dynamic and comfortable on that backhand wing is everything. And you know who's well aware of that fact? Matteo Berrettini, who has made tangible strides on that wing. But again, having that glaring weakness, which isn't a glaring weakness, but having that weakness 
against a top five opponent, that weakness becomes glaring. That weakness becomes magnified. And so for Matteo Berrettini, that he was able to escape against Carlos Alcaraz, that the strength of his plan A was able to overwhelm the B, C, and D, and the physicality Alcaraz brought to that match, that's a credit to the growth of Matteo Berrettini, that, you know, the backhand held up and it allowed him to get to his strengths, maximize his strengths throughout the course of the match, tilt that calculus in his favor Super impressed by Matteo Berrettini. Now, again, he's played a physical first three matches in Australia. Four sets against Nakashima, four sets against Kozlov, five sets now against Carlos Alcaraz. How much does he have left in the tank? He is as physically fit looking as any player on the tour. Handsome, handsome guy. And obviously, you know, again, for a guy who's 6'5", 6'6", kind of built like a linebacker, incredibly fluid. For a guy who's certainly carrying some muscle on his frame, you don't worry about Berrettini ever from a fitness standpoint, right? And so you don't want to worry about his game style heading into this Carino Busta match. But again, Alcaraz, that's as physical of a match as you're going to see. And there was a degree of physicality and weaponry that Alcaraz brought that his prior opponents could not. But he got worked. In you know, first two matches, spent three hours on court in match one, two hours 40 in match two, now four hours in match number three. It's a lot of time on court. For Matteo Berrettini, as fit a guy as you're going to find on the ATP Tour, but that fitness is going to be stressed as he competes in the sixth round of 16 in his young career. He's still young, right? 25 years old, turns 26 in April. Yeah, you know, he's younger than me. He's still young. But of course, he's got a veteran matchup in his round of 16 matchup as he's going to take on Pablo Carreno Busta, who in my opinion is currently the leader of generation. Eh. And when I say generation, eh, I'm referring to the guys like Dimitrov. And well, maybe not Dimitrov, who's a little older in my mind, and Chilich and Nishikori, who are, you know, a part of a different era, a little more hyped in Rayonich. But, you know, I think of generation eh, as like Schwartzman and RBA and Carreno Busta and, you know, that and, you know, Gofen to an extent as well. That class of guys who have been hovering around that top eight range, you know, somewhere between eight and 20 over the past decade and are always in the mix, but always seem to be a bridesmaid or like third bridesmaid down, not even the head bridesmaid or what's well, a maid of honor. There it is. Head bridesmaid, maid of honor. Hey, great shot. Shows you where I am in life. Point being, Crano Busta quietly had the best season of his career in 2021. Won 66.7, two thirds of his matches. That's a career high. 38 wins on the season. Second only to his 2016 season when he won 41 matches. However, you look at the numbers, 82% hold percentage, second best number of his season, uh, of his career, trailing only 2019. 23.3 break percentage, right around his career average. So again, he's excelled on the serve, uh, stayed constant at, on the return of serve. And you look for him last season, you know, was able to make four different finals, was able to win two different titles, was right there in the mix for the year-end championships. And, you know, the, the reason why, in my opinion, he wasn't able to make those year-end championships last season is because he underperformed at the Grand Slams, no doubt about it. Now, he had to retire with injury against Grigor Dimitrov, third-round Australia last year. You know, round of 16 for him, Roland Garros, at straight set loss to Tsitsipas, that was about as good as it could get. But first-round loss for him at Wimbledon, certainly disappointing that loss in straight sets to Sam Query, who in 2021 you should just not be losing to in straight sets. And then at the U.S. Open, a, a five-set loss to Maxime Cressy, third-set breaker, of course. Let's be clear, Cressy has been one of the breakout stars of 2021, and that loss has certainly appreciated in value with time. But at this stage of his career, 29, 30 years old, 
That's a match Pablo Carina Busta has to win. And you look for Carina Busta over the course of last season was pretty good against ranked opponents beneath and 29-5 and against opponents ranked outside the top 50. But, you know, again, 16-14 and against top 50 opponents, 5-8 and against the top 20, 3-5 and against the top 10. And so, you know, you saw his hold percentage. He's that much less effective. His hold percentage dropped last season to 60% against top 10 opponents, 66% against top 20 opponents. That number would be last amongst top 50 players. That is just unacceptable. Of course, his break percentage also dipped to 17.5%, which would be a bottom 10 number amongst top 50 players. You know, I do think Karina Busta, though, physically, you look at his wins here, whether it be over Echeverry in round one, the five-set physical battle he won against Talon Greeksport in round number two, or four sets against Korda in round number three. You know, again, at 30 years old, peak of his powers physically, tail end or at, you know, at the end of the center or beginning that ascent downwards, descent downwards, excuse me, from his prime, there's a degree of physicality Carino Busta brings to each and every match he plays, and that's why he's been pretty successful across surfaces throughout the course of his career. He's won 57% of his career ATP-level hardcourt matches. has won 57% of his career ATP-level uh, clay court matches. You look for him, 5% trade-off and hold percentage, break percentage, but total points-wise, you know, similar, similar player across surfaces. And you look for him in his career. Again, semifinal in his career at the majors came at the U.S. Open, but he's made seven different uh, round of 16s. This is number eight for him at Grand Slams. And, you know, he's done it at Roland Garros three times, the U.S. Open twice, now Australia three times as well. Grass courts, he's always been a bit tricky for Pablo Carreno Busta, but certainly on hard courts, clay courts, just physically what he brings. And there is a little extra pop on that forehand and he can snap off a serve and you know really open up some angle with the kick serve out wide when he wants to amp things up he has that gear to him sneaky explosiveness obviously you know physically as strong a guy and as fit as a guy you're going to see although I will mention you know the gas tank was on empty against Sebastian Corda. Neither one of those guys wanted to play anything more than a four-shot rally. And as such, you saw a lot of plus one success, but a lot of plus one errors from both of them. Crano Busta, you know, recognized quickly that Corda was not the most comfortable moving side to side because of the blisters on his feet. And he attacked that. And that's another thing Crano Busta does so well is identify weaknesses, attack that weakness with rigorous consistency, I think PCP still is playing the best tennis of his career. I think it's the tail end of the peaky peak. I think he's still got two years to descend from that peak and be a top 20 guy, certainly physically. Now we'll see where he goes after that, especially with the rise of some of the young talents across the ATP tour. But look, 30 years old, again, still in his prime opportunity here now against a fellow worn down Matteo Berrettini to make another Grand Slam quarterfinal, get to Grand Slam quarterfinal number, I believe, uh, five of his career. And it would be the first one for him in Australia as well as he's 0-2 in his two previous round of 16s in Australia, ended up losing a five-set match to Kei Nishikori and a a four-set match to Marin Cilic in 2018-2019 respectively. By the way, third uh, round of 16 for him now in three out of the last five years in Australia. That's a pretty nifty stretch for Pablo Carreno Busta. This is going to be a fun match, folks. And again, from a weapons perspective, of course, Matteo Bertini, like any opponent he faces, has, uh, you know, or 97% of opponents he faces, he's got the edge from a weapon standpoint. His serve, his forehand are the two biggest weapons and the two elite traits 
in this match, but Pablo Carreno Busta is going to grind on the return of serve. You look at his break percentage, 24.5%. That was a top 15 number amongst top 50 players last season, and he does have the length and the strength, hey, great shot, unintended rhyme, to absorb the pace of that serve and at least, again, put a drive deep into the Berrettini body where he doesn't just have an easy plus one forehand to tee on. The question is, does he have the the jump in his legs, the bounce to, you know, do the the footwork required and chase down, even if it's not 100% plus one forehand from Berrettini and 80% plus one forehand from Berrettini and go corner to corner and still get depth on his backhand, which I think when he's stretched or pressured by pace will sit a bit short. Again, there's more snap and bite on that plus one forehand of Carino Busta than you'd think. I think it's the inside-out forehand approach particularly well. Snaps the inside-in with particular vehement spin as well. But, you know, again, it's very much a legs battle here. And I just think if it's two guys who are a bit gassed, you, de- you tend to prefer, uh, prefer the guy who can make things a little bit easier for himself. And simply put, Carino Busta can ma- uh, cannot make things for himself as easy as Matteo Berrettini can. Now, how much legs does Berrettini have left in the tank to run around that plus one ball, even if it's a bump or a slice return, and make sure and guarantee to himself that he's got to look at a plus one forehand? That's a fascinating question to ask as we look at this match. But Berrettini is fit as a fiddle. And yes, he was tired at the end of that Alcaraz match, but he was ready to keep going, competitively willing himself. Now, how does he recover? That's a fascinating question. But, you know, again, both of these guys physically worn down again. Give me the guy with the bigger weapons. I'm going to take Berrettini to win this matchup in the end. I just think, you know, again, that serve into the Carreno Busta backhand. I think Carreno Busta leaves it short too frequently. I think Carreno Busta's forehand backswing is a little bit big. It's a little bit tougher for him to absorb that pace of the Berrettini forehand on that side. Carreno Busta will have success. He'll plus one that backhand corner of Berrettini's to death. And, you know, again, he won't be afraid to go forehand to forehand with Berrettini. And if he has his legs under him, he won't be afraid to say, go down the line. Watch what I can do when I'm on the run. But the question is, I don't think he has enough legs to play the defensive tennis that he is, you know, that he has patent himself on throughout the course of his career, turning defense into offense to make Berrettini uncomfortable in this match. If they were both fresh, I'd say it's going to be closer than it is. But Berrettini's not fresh either. That's the problem. I don't feel particularly confident in a pick one way or another. I'll say Berrettini wins this match 7-6, 7-5, 4-6, 7-5. No, no, no. 7-6, 7-5, 7-5. And Carino Busta just runs out of gas in the end, leaves it all out there on the court, though. Or no, no, 7-6, no. 7-5, 5-7, 6-1 Berrettini. There we go. Final score. Lock it in. Berrettini in four sets. That's your Patreon match of the day for day number seven. Now, of course, as you all know, recaps, mini break podcasts, preview picks, ace of the day, although you pretty much got the preview in the first eight minutes of this show. A shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Again, on behalf of him, myself, Dalton Thieneman, we want to thank all of you Cracked Rackets Patreon members for your continued support. It means the world to us. With that said, your Patreon match of the day for day seven. Number seven seed Berrettini against number 19 seed Carino Busta. Give me Berrettini in four, but more than anything else, give me another outstanding day of tennis. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the matches and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks everyone.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 